Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, July 27th, and this is your FT News Briefing. If you're double jabbed and you're a US or EU citizen, you might be able to visit the UK soon without having to quarantine. Intel is hoping a rebrand will help give its chips new life, and the $30 billion deal between Aon and Willis is dead. We'll look at what's next for the insurance brokers. Plus, we'll check in on Tokyo and how the hometown crowd is feeling so far about hosting the Olympic Games. Just a few days of of sport have really given extraordinary reasons for the country to get behind its athletes and just sort of focus a bit more on sport than all the other issues that are going on. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. This week, the British government will consider loosening up travel restrictions for U.S. and EU citizens, but only if they are fully vaccinated. If they are, they may be allowed to skip having to quarantine. The move would open the door for easier travel back to Britain for expat U.K. citizens, and it would be a boost to the tourism sector. But the looser standards wouldn't be mutual. On Monday, the White House said it's keeping the travel ban put in place by former U.S. President Donald Trump in March 2020. The Biden administration said it's because of the rapid spread of the Delta variant of coronavirus. Semiconductor makers pride themselves in making small transistors. In fact, the smaller the transistor, the better. That way, they can pack as many of them on a chip as they can. Size has driven the chip industry for 60 years or so, and for most of that time, America's Intel led the pack. But recently, they've fallen behind the likes of TSMC in Taiwan and Samsung in South Korea. So Intel has come up with a pretty simple strategy. Let's change the way we name chips so that we don't focus on size. And the FT's West Coast editor, Richard Waters, says it's not a bad idea. Chip size doesn't mean what it used to mean. Um, and this is where it gets very complex, but I think incredibly important that it no longer matters entirely on the dimensions of these chips. There are so many other new technologies now that affect the performance, the power usage, the price, the density of chips. And Intel actually has a lot of great technologies. Maybe not surprisingly, they're going to try and change, they're changing the language to change the conversation about them. So they've fallen behind in packing smaller bits on a chip, but they're doing quite well in some other areas. And so they're just going to change the name. They're no longer going to talk about seven nanometer chips, which is where they're losing the game. They're going to talk about, you know, they're just going to change the brand and call it something else and hope that people focus on, you know, the overall performance of chips, not just the size. And it's actually, uh, you know, it's not a bad move. So, Richard, what else should we know about the name change? You know, Pat Gelsinger, who took over at Intel earlier this year, I think has realized that, you know, the company's stumbled. It has lost its manufacturing leadership. And this was the, you know, manufacturing was the great strength of Intel for decades. So he's going to focus on what they do well. And in the meantime, you know, as they try to catch up in various areas, he's going to try and get the market to look at what Intel already is doing well. And I think that's a very clever thing, really. It's saying, look, the old naming system that we all use and call Intel's chip 7 nanometer sounds like they're two years behind TSMC. Actually, in terms of the overall performance, they're probably six months, maybe a year, who knows. But they've got some advantages. And so scrap that old naming system that just draws people's attention to your weak point 
and instead make them, you know, think of a new brand, make them look at what you're quite good at. And, uh, you know, hopefully you can swing the conversation around. And I think you know, that makes a lot of sense. Richard Waters is the FT's West Coast editor. Aon and Willis Towers Watson abandoned a $30 billion tie-up yesterday. It would have created the world's biggest insurance broker. The U.S. Department of Justice filed an antitrust lawsuit last month to block the deal. The department described the merger as anti-competitive. The FT's Ian Smith says Aon and Willis had three options after the lawsuit. One was to sell off more businesses, and they felt that if they had sold off more of uh, Willis in order to assuage the DOJ, that that would have really just chipped away at the merits of the deal to, to the point where it was no longer worth doing. The second would be to fight the antitrust suit in court. They feared that this would be too much of a long trial that would drag into next year. It wasn't even going to start until November, and that would really undermine the kind of merits of the deal on, on a timing basis, but also create a lot of uncertainty um, for both their clients and also their employees with um, kind of news of defections to their major rival. So they chose the third option, which is to walk away. And that meant Aon is going to be paying a $1 billion break fee to Willis. So it doesn't come without a cost walking away and also giving up a lot of the synergies and other benefits that they said would come from the deal. But looking at it, comparing it to a lengthy trial, comparing it to further disposals that, um, you know, undermined the uh, rationale in their, in their view for the deal. This is what they've gone with as the least worst option. So Ian, what's next for Aon and Willis? Um, speaking to analysts, Aon on its own, it's a very strong market for commercial insurance, the insurance that it brokers on, on behalf of its clients. They think given that supportive market environment that Aon will be able to kind of carry on doing what it's doing without the distraction of this deal and just let that positive market environment feed through to a revenue and profits for, for shareholders. For Willis, their share price fell following this kind of shock announcement. Reading some of the commentary, analysts are worried about what's next for them. If Aon is not able to buy Willis on competition concerns, that also suggests that Marsh McLennan, the other of the big three insurance broken groups, wouldn't be able to buy them as well. So then it begs the question of who could come in with a bid for this company. And with the disruption that the lengthy merge process has caused to them with staff defections after considerations of breaking up the group, which has led people to kind of look for employment elsewhere, how does Willis now recalibrate and go on from this moment. Ian Smith is the FT's insurance correspondent. Now let's check in on the Olympics. Japanese athletes continue to excel. At the time I'm reading this, the hometown competitors have won eight gold medals and 13 medals overall. The FT's Asia business editor, Leo Lewis, says that raking in the golds could help Japanese citizens forget about some of the negative feelings they had leading up to the games. There's obviously been a lot of controversy over the hosting of the event. And, you know, there's still quite a lot of opposition in Japan to holding them during a pandemic. But uh, Japan has pushed ahead for better or for worse. And the first two, three days of, of sport uh, have really given extraordinary reasons for the country to get behind its athletes and just sort of focus a bit more on on the sport than all the other issues that are going on in the background. So, you know, here we are 
a brother and sister who, who got gold in their respective judo events, a swimmer, and then uh, a skateboarder on Sunday, and then on Monday, uh, a very young 13-year-old uh, skateboarder winning gold both for Japan. And the beauty of all of this is that you've got judo, which has been a, an Olympic event for, for many decades, swimming, which is you know events that are often dominated by other countries, including the US, of course, and then uh, and then this brand new event, skateboarding, which is the first time it's been included in the Olympics. So the sort of whole spread of different types of sport covered for Japan in its gold medal hall, which you know is, is sort of well ahead of I think expectations. So Leo, how is the Japanese public reacting to this success, especially? Given the fact that you know there there are no fans in attendance, that's right. I've I've spent today in a succession of empty stadia, and you know it's a sad thing, and not least because you've got fans sort of standing outside rather forlornly, looking at the athletes going in in their buses. You know there is there is a a base of public support for for the sport itself. It's a little bit early at this point to sort of declare that the national mood has changed. Uh, towards the Olympics as a whole, uh, you know, it, it's still the case. A lot of people are very skeptical about the need to hold this. But um, by the end of this week, I think we're going to start seeing polls in some of the bigger Japanese media organisations that may very well point to a kind of, well, you know, we didn't want this to happen, but since it is happening, we're very pleased that Japan is doing well. I think that's going to be probably the attitude change that you start seeing, especially if this medal tally keeps mounting. Leo Lewis is the FT's Asia business editor. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.